Do you remember Gardner Hersey Hawkins in the Mo Valley Tournament in 1988? I got a great story about this. I, I got a great story about this, that Hersey Hawkins. Remember, it was the that was the year. It was my sophomore year. That's right after one of the four games that I right after I, I earned my starting spot with um, uh, that that week of practice. So coach is mad at some guys. So we're, we we play Southern Illinois first round of the tournament. We beat him. Now we're in the hotel and we're playing Bradley. Hersey's leading the nation in scoring. First team All American. They're they're like something like twenty nine and two or some crazy record like that. So and it's at in Peoria. So we're in the hotel and we were having a team meeting and we're going over game game plan. And like coach is looking at some of the guards that he's bench. He's like, and I'm going to put Moser on him. I'm going to, I guarantee you he's not going to back down. So he gets in there. So I get into the game and first time they had, they ran this post. They had Luke Jackson and, and Powell, Dwight Powell, two huge, like six ten guys. They sat on the block and Hersey just ran figure eights, baseline staggers all day until he got it. So first play down, first play of the game, he comes down, he goes on a baseline stagger, he catches it. I catch up, I jump, I get a fingertip on it, and he airballs it. And I'm running down the court, and I see Coach Baroni looking at the guys. See? Like he's in the guys that he's pissed at, like yelling at him. Next play down, honest to God. They ran the same thing. I got my arm in the passing lane. It hit my hand, went down. James Farr picked it up, went down. So it was, I got a steal. Third time down, I got him, and I denied him the ball. I think it like went off his ankle, went out. And every time he's looking at the guys, yelling at him like this. In the next 90 seconds, Hersey had 13 points <laughs> right after that. He scored thir- 13 in a row. And then he's like, get Moser the hell out of the game. <laughs> it, was, it was the most quickest point. I mean, he came down, hit a three in my face. They inbounded it, like stole, like stole it from me. I went up. I fouled him an and one. Next time down, hits another three in my face. It was like 13 before, like in 90 seconds. And I was like, God, I was feeling all great. First three possessions, I get a stop, and I was I was out of the game. But I have a picture of me. We have my Creighton jersey. I got the ball. I'm holding the ball on Hersey's. The picture's from behind Hersey's head, and he's guarding me. And uh, I'm like, they must have been saving him for offense, putting him on me. Welcome to Where I Come From a podcast devoted to Nebraska sports figures and the life experiences that shaped them. I'm your host, Dirk Chatlin, and this week's special guest is Porter Moser, the former Creighton Blue Jay who led Loyola Chicago basketball to the Final Four in April. We talked about growing up in Chicago, walking on for Tony Baroni, winning a Missouri Valley Championship, getting fired at Illinois State, Sister Jean, learning from Rick Majerus, and one topic he really doesn't like, the possibility of coaching Creighton someday. The day I got the job, there was a file on my desk, and I opened up the file, and it was from Sister Jean, and she had like an evaluation like on each player. Where are you getting this information? Is like Todd Eisner and Matt Roggenberg <laughs> in your studio right now? It was a defining moment in my life that I, that I referenced all the time because I had a fork in the road and I chose the harder path and it was so much more worthwhile. That's the problem sometimes coaches get on you so hard and they don't, they don't take time to build a relationship and that's all that young person sees is, who's this guy tripping on me all the time? He doesn't he know me. This is where I come from. Does your schedule in late May settle down a little bit or not? Man, it hasn't. It, it has not. It's been nuts. Been nuts. 
it's a little bit of everything. I mean, it's just like we got recruiting. We've got, I've spoken at clinics. I've spoken to corporations. I've got my four kids in travel basketball. I've got public appearances. I've done two charity events. I mean, it's just, it's literally every day I walk in and my secretary looks at me and she just says, I got 10 new things. <laughs> you, it's, uh, it's just been nuts. You could have stopped at uh, four kids in traveling basketball and, and that would have explained everything. Oh, that does not. It is crazy. You haven't been roped into coaching one of those teams, have you? No. No, I, I would love to. Oh, I'd love to. I just can't. I can't com- I, I couldn't commit to being there and practicing in all the games because uh, I, I, and if I did it for one, the other three would be like, what? Dad, what's going on, man? I mean, so, I, I, but I would love to. I'd love to coach my, like, you know, those summertime. What kind of AAU parent are you? I am the best. I don't deal with the coach I, or in terms of um, I'm not coaching from the sideline. I don't want my kid looking over at me, you know, nonstop trying to get stuff. I want him to play the game. He's got one coach. That's the coach on the sideline. Later on, we'll, we'll talk at home or something like that, but I am not the one yelling at refs. I'm not the one uh, yelling at the coach and yelling at the other team's parents. I mean, I've, I've just seen so much over my time doing what I do that I, don't, I want my kid to just have fun with it, understand he's got one coach. There's been a lot of moments, I'm sure, in the last two months where where it's been different. Your life has been different. But I was wondering if you could pick out one or two uh, that that sort of illustrated how much things have changed, uh, whether it's opening day at, at Wrigley Field or um, you know walking out for the walking out to you know to the to, into the dome on Final Four Saturday or or whatever it is. Uh, it, are there a couple that stand out now that this time has kind of passed a little bit? The actual Final Four, you know, I, I don't know if you want me to go bar- back that far, but that was just surreal. I mean, we had 35,000 at our practice, and the celebrities are all around the, the, the court. And um, so that, that's just in and of itself, the, final, the, the hoopla of the Final Four. And, and we couldn't even leave our hotel. It was like a reality show. Um, but since then... It's, it really hasn't slowed down like when, when, you know, like you said, opening day and you're going and it's, it's, you're, it's every two, two, two steps you take, someone, you know, take a picture. But that's fun. I'm not, I'm not complaining about that at all. It's better than the alternative. Um, I went, my wife and I Sunday went to, uh, right here in St. Charles, Illinois, went to Michael Phelps and Jason Day's fundraiser. And we get out of the car and it's, it's literally a red carpet red carpet all the tv crews are there we go into the baker hotel and there's there's michael and his wife and jason his wife and you walk in and then you go to the red carpet take a picture and they're both like hey man great run great run and i'm like this is it's incredible the scope of how far this went and uh you know just the amount of you know different events like that i was at the dick vital gala in sarasota florida at the ritz um it was a two-day event to for pediatric cancer and what dick vital does for that is the most mind-blowing efforts towards a cause that I've ever seen is Dick Vitale and how he's with pediatric cancer and the nep- you know with with the Jim Vilvano the V Foundation. But then the next day we were over at his house for a big celebration, and it's just you know it's one thing after another. Then I'm going right back to I was at Texas I was in San Antonio I spoke to the TABC the Texas Association of Basketball Coaches, 1,200 coaches. Next day I flew to St. Louis 
or flew back to Chicago, drove to St. Louis, my son's basketball game. You walk in, so it's just it's something every single day, and it's it. I love staying busy. It's kind of how I'm wired, um, but it's just it it it's at the point. You know, you sometimes it's a little overwhelming because you. I have a tendency to say yes to everything because <laughs> I don't want to miss out or I don't want to. Um, but you get you got to start managing it because there's just stuff every day. Like I said, I, I walk in, my secretary's got ten new things. Are things falling through the cracks that you don't want to fall through the cracks? Yeah, you always worry about that. You know, you, you worry about spending enough time with your players. Now, fortunately, right now we're in, we're in between the sessions. You know, we're, we've already had finals and graduation, and we're, we haven't started summer school yet. But I, I think one of the things that I'm gonna, I'm really cognizant of is not spending enough time with your players. You know, of of because that's how you you build that bond. We have such a close group and such close relationships with our coaches and players that and you have to work at staying connected. You can't assume you're going to be connected. You got to work at it. You got to work at it. And I think that's uh, something that, you know, you do worry about going in so many directions that I'm, I'm not around. So I'm going to be very aware of that. I am as I plan my schedule when my players come back for summer school. My eight-year-old son had never heard of you guys, obviously, uh, on, on in mid-March. And two weeks later, he's like sulking in his bedroom because you guys lost uh, in, on Final Four Saturday. And I, it's just amazing to me, you know, I'm sure there were millions of kids that were like that, that sort of latched onto you guys and how easily that could have not happened. I mean, if you lose to Miami, this is completely different and, and that easily could have happened, right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, one reference to your son. That's awesome. I, I hope, I hope he turns out to be six eleven, <laughs> um, in, in a Rambler, in, in a Rambler Jersey. But, um, that's, it is so cool to see. Cause I think, I think like, how um, real our guys were in all the interviews and they saw how just raw emotion, how much fun they had playing with each other. I think that resonated, especially with kids. I mean, I, I, so many people like enjoyed watching these guys. And I said it from their first press conference back in October. I said, we're a fun team to watch because we play hard. I think we, we guard, we play both ends. Um, so, you know, I think, um, this, what was the second part of your question? Just how easily that could have not happened. I mean, you know, you guys won. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Basketball's like that, though. I mean, basketball is, you know, you look back on the NC State run. Yep. I saw this on 30 for 30. Like, they had to win the tur- Like, all the different things that happened for them to even get into the tournament. But they might not have ever got into the tournament. And then they get into the tournament, and then they go on the run, and then the final tip dunk. I mean, and then that went on to be one of the greatest stories. And that almost didn't happen. I mean, that's the way sports are. There's, there's little, the game is made up of inches, little things. You know, baseball's that way with, you know, a foul ball here, you know, a home run that hits the top of the wall or gets caught on the top of the wall. You know, it's like that. But it definitely, you know, Dante made that shot against Miami. It was a huge shot. And same thing with Michigan. They hit the big shot against yep. Houston. They might not have got to the, the final game if it wasn't for that shot. So it's like that. Um, all you can do is, you know, be grateful that you're on that side of it because it, there's a lot of times where it comes full circles. A lot of years, some years, there's, it didn't bounce that way. So when you're in it long enough, it kind of goes both ways. Have you used Sister Jean on the recruiting trail yet? When is it ethical and when is it unethical to cite a 98-year-old nun in recruiting? <laughs> Absolutely none, nothing unethical about using <laughs> Sister Jean. <laughs> Those two words don't go together. They're phrases, unethical and Sister Jean. Um, you know, she's the best. I mean, she's, you know, 
she's done so many. I, I've, I've had a coaching friend whose father was sick and asked me to have Sister Jean to pray for him, and she ended up. We ended up taking a video, and I had uh, I take this where I when I lived in uh, St. Louis, um, St. Peter's Parish was my parish. They go on a field trip every year to Chicago, and every year I take him around campus and let him play in the gym and, and stuff like that. And I did it again this year. And they were coming by, and they all wanted to meet Sister Jean. Sister Jean came out, took pictures with them. She's she's just so go with the flow. I mean, she's she's she truly is. I mean, she doesn't have bad days. When did you first meet her, Porter? The day I got the job. Really? The day I got the job. Oh yeah, there was a file on my desk, um, and I opened up the file, and it was from Sister Jean, and she had like a little thing on each an evaluation, like on each player <laughs> who I was in, re, uh, inheriting. Oh yeah. See, that's the thing that, I mean, she's been the chaplain here. I mean, think about this stat. She has been a sister for 80 years. That's hard to wrap your head around. I mean, she's turning 99 in August and she was, got into the sisterhood at 18 or 19. You're a Chicago guy, uh, all the way back. And, and I imagine I want to get into your childhood a little bit, but, but first, I mean, this has to mean even more doing it in your hometown, right? 100%. It was really cool doing it. You know, I grew up a, and I still am, and I'm still growing up, um, a diehard Chicago sports fan. I mean, the Cubs, the Bears, I mean, the Bears Super Bowl run was one of my greatest sports run in that the, the Bulls, the Jordan eras. Um, and then the, then, to be able to come back here and the Cubs World Series run. So I've been like, I used to go to Ray Myers basketball camp every summer. Um, DePaul used to be, you know, back when they were young, when I was young, they were huge. And so to have this kind of special run and to watch the city just go nuts and what people are, how the things that have been said to me, like this is going to be a huge part of Chicago sports history. That just, you get, I get chills even just saying that. And, uh, you know, just because I'm from here and I grew up, to, to be a part of the Chicago sports scene that I so much followed and was a fan of, and to be a part of that history, it means a lot. And, I, and we're not done. We're not done. And I, I just feel like there's a lot more to do here at Loyola. You know, you mentioned that Ray Meyer basketball camp. As the story goes, you were a teenager, and this would have been the early 80s, mid-80s, and he pulls you out of, uh, pulls you out of the group. And, and basically highlights your effort and says, if everybody else played this hard, you'd all be scholarship players. Do you remember that? Yeah, we were in the mess hall for lunch, and it was, it was after the morning session, and he made me stand up. And I remember that. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it because Ray was, there was really pro. I mean, he was, he was bigger than any pro coach in our town. I mean, it was Ray Meyer. And uh, made me stand up as an eighth grader and, and said that he said he'll, be, he'll one day be a scholarship player because of his effort and his attitude. And I just... That meant so much to me. And I'll tell you another story about Ray Meyer. That, uh, so I went to his camp, and it's two weeks in Wisconsin, and I went from like 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth, like five years in a row. And then when you start to get to 10th, 11th, back then you'd go to these more profile camps like five-star, B.C. basketball camp. You didn't have AAU, but you had that. So I didn't go my last two years of high school because you were going to more competitive one where college coaches were going to be. And then I was in a senior, my senior year, it was in the springtime. I was in a creative writing class, and the, 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 the contest was you had to write a letter to a celebrity. The first one to get a response got like 50 points on their final grade. I went to Bennett Academy, and 
and back then you didn't have email. So it was, you were, you were, so you wrote a letter and I wrote a, a letter to coach Meyer about, um, how his camp really helped me grow up and how the toughness and the things that I valued. And, um, you know, I was on my way to Creighton and, you know, I remember that moment that he said that, and, um, and I won by like three weeks. He wrote, I still have the letter. He wrote me like three page handwritten letter and he's FedExed it. And I won by like three weeks, the thing. And that's the kind of guy Ray Meyer was. Wow. You do that type of stuff for, for other coaches and, and people out there today, right? Well, you know, my journey, you know, is well documented that I was fired at Illinois State. And uh, I had taken over a program at Little Rock. We turned it around. I was on the verge of turning it around at, at Illinois State and simply got a new athletic director, you know, bought out three years of my contract. And, you know, the, the, but then God works in mysterious ways. You know, it, it was the biggest blessing in my life. I went with Rick Majerus. I reinvented myself and came back home and all this happened. And so I, I, when coaches get fired, I pick up the phone, you know, whether I know them or not, if I, you know, I, I try to call them and share my story with them. You know, you got, you got to have a competitive reinvention. I get it. You're going to go through some grieving, but you don't have to stay down. You don't have to let that define you. You know, you, you don't have to let that part define you. There's other things you can do that will define you. It's, it's in your future. And I love, I love calling and telling my story because, you know, you, you got to have it, whether it's coaching or at your company or in your life, things that don't go your way. You know, if, I, I say this a lot. I don't have a tattoo, but if I had a tattoo, it would be an old proverb that's fall seven, rise eight. Moser cut out and for just a second. You just keep it's fall seven, rise eight. I love telling my story for other coaches that, you know, a coach who just got fired got, got to the final four. And I've been doing this for years, even before this platform, because I know. I know how much it meant to me, some people that reached out to me when it happened. I, I, I never forget what that, that meant a lot to me. Because sometimes, you know, people, you know, they, you, you get that scarlet letter on you. All of a sudden, oh, you, you can't help me, so I'm not going to talk to you. And you, you, you really find out who your friends are and who cares about you. And so I understand that. I understand where, when you're in a tough part of your life. And you need friends and family and faith to get through it. And uh, I had that. Describe the day you got fired. What 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 happened? What was it like? Yeah, it's 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 the low of lows. It's the low of low. Yeah, I, I, the thing that I, the, the, right when you ask that question, the first thing that goes to my mind is when I had to tell my daughter I'm no longer Redbird coach, and I still get a lump in my throat, and to say that, and that's why I feel for. And when I see pe- people, you know, I I truly mean this from the bottom of my heart. The AD that fired me was fired Monday. He was fired from the athletic director of Kansas. And I haven't seen him since. And I truly, I truly, from the bottom of my heart, don't wish that on anybody. Because he has kids. He has good kids. And he has to tell those that it has to happen. I think about kids and their families when they're going through. You know, you almost want to tell them, you know, hey, it was a blessing for me. God had a different plan for me. You know, something better is in your future. And that's what I tell guys. But I, I don't, I don't, you know, I look back on thinking like it was more of what my, my family it was horrible for them. You know, your kids have to move. They have to uproot. They're going to lose their friends. They're, they're, you know, they're going to go to school and the friends are going to, you know, their, their father just got fired. It's different in our profession because when you have no have success and you're fired, it goes along that ticker on ESPN all day in 120 million homes that you failed. That's a hard pill to swallow. And, um, especially 
the hard pill was we were going to be picked number one in the Valley the next year. We, they won 27 games next year. We had the freshman of the year, the newcomer of the year. We, were, we had a, our top eight back. That was a hard pill to swallow. You had everybody back, and you, you're, you're getting through that rain to get to the rainbow, and it got pulled out from under you. And I said, I said it a million times, God got a plan. God's got a plan. And, uh, and that's why, you know, when I went to St. Louis and I just, I just dug into the harder I work, good things are going to happen. And I just entrenched myself with recruiting players and learning. And next thing you know, we were back three NCAA tournaments there. And then I got here, you know, I wasn't there for those, that run. Those are all the guys I recruited. I was able to come to Loyola, but, and then we just had this run of getting to the final four. We got Loyola to the final four. And, um, it just, you know, things happen for reasons, but it's anybody that's ever happened. It's not easy, but it isn't easy, especially when you're on the front page of the paper, where you're on the ticker, some people lose their job and it, you know, sometimes people in the neighborhood don't even know, you know, much less be on the front page and on the ticker. It's just, it's humbling. It's very humbling. Quick timeout. One of my favorite shows on TV is inside the NBA on TNT. There's a segment each week where Ernie Johnson, the host, introduces EJ's Nito Stat of the Night, presented by no one. He comes back and he says, unsullied by sponsorship since 1989. For two and a half seasons, this podcast has been unsullied by sponsorship. But let's be honest, I'd love to change that. We've built up a devoted following of hundreds of listeners. It's probably time for a sponsor. So if you're interested... Drop me a note at Dirk.Chatelaine at OWH.com. Back to Porter Moser. Hey, I want to go all the way back. Uh, d- describe your childhood. I mean, your, your, your dad was a businessman in Naperville and a, and a real influential guy in the community. Uh, and and you, like you mentioned, uh, you know, your kids, but, but I think you had, you had brothers and sisters too, right? Same dynamic. I had my sister was the oldest and three boys. I was the youngest, the same as I have. I have a daughter and three boys. Um, you know, very blessed, very close in age with my siblings. We were just like my family. Um, you know, I had two awesome parents. They're both past, but I am standing here today because of my parents. One of the coolest things that got retweeted or Twitter, my, on, when I was at the Final Four, my brother took a, a picture of my or the, the tombstone or the stone of, of my parents' grave, and it says Moser, and then the it's decorated with maroon and gold flowers. And it said Loyola Chicago basketball, and it had a Final Four sign. And that was on my grain. I, I tweeted it out saying, you are who you are because your parents. And I am here in San Antonio because of my parents. And uh, I was blessed with, with great parents. And I, had, I, I was blessed with a great community in Naperville. Uh, like you said, my dad was a big part of it. Um, he was the chairman and the founder of the Riverwalk there. Um, so we try to go give back. And I'm, I'm going back next week. You know, of all these things, you know, different speaking engagements I've been asked to do, corporations and everything, I am going back, probably the most excited one, I'm going back to St. Peter and Paul grade school where I went uh, K through 8, um, and I'm speaking to the student body and the parents. Um, my dad went to that grade school. And, you know, I'm going back. I just want to, you know, give, give back that. And you can't forget your roots, can't forget where you came from. You know, Ray Meyer pointed out how hard you played in that camp, and, and that was something that, you know, you did at Creighton too. You were sort of famous on that team at Creighton, and I'm just curious, wh- where did that come from? I mean, have you ever pinpointed why you played the way you did with the intensity that you did? You know, I was probably trying to keep up with my older brothers. 
you know, that we had, we had like a little bas- half-court basketball court in our backyard, and, you know, I always wanted to play with them, and I just, I was fighting tooth and nail um, to play with them and their friends. And uh, you just got, you get so competitive. We were a family that played a lot of board games. We were always playing games. We didn't have video stuff. And we were always playing, we were a family that played cards all the time. And I was that kid that would probably pick up the Monopoly board and throw it if I didn't get Park Place and Boardwalk. You know, I was, I was ultra competitive, always trying to keep up with them and, and, and to do that. And, uh, you know, as a player, I just, it was probably that competitiveness. I, I really, really enjoyed winning and I do enjoy winning and I hate losing. And uh, I think that was just something that is, was ingrained from me from my childhood um, with that. And I think the effort thing, uh, you know, especially I wasn't born with tremendous athleticism and it's kind of what I tell my players. You want to dominate what you can control in life and you can control your effort. And I wanted to dominate my effort and my attitude, you know, being coachable, being positive, you know, you want to dominate those things that you can control. And, and I, I think I was lucky that I learned that at a young age. Sometimes you learn that later in life, but I, I learned that at a young age. You turned down a full ride to Division Three Wisconsin Stevens Point, and there may have been some other schools involved too, uh, to walk on at Creighton. Man, that must have been a, a, a obviously a monumental decision in your life, but but also a really difficult one too. Can you take me through that? Yes, I you know there was a lot of circumstances coming out of high school, um, and it ended up being a walk on situation. I got to know Coach Baroni and Dick Fick, who was the assistant, and. Um, and Coach Baroni, uh, ironically, I had lunch with him and Mrs. B yesterday. It was great to see them. But, they, you know, I got to know them in the recruiting, and I, I really, really felt I had a connection. I felt he was a Chicago guy that coveted tough players. And I felt that I could go in there and, and, and earn my keep. And I liked what he was about. I liked the Jesuit education, uh, being, going, you know, growing up Catholic here. And uh, there was just a lot of fits for me. Very blessed that my dad had the, the capacity to pay that tuition that first year. And, uh, and then, you know, I earned my scholarship. Uh, and I me- I'll never forget how, how it happened. And it's documented in a Sports Illustrated article. We lost a game on the road, and Coach Brony was so mad that we had like a week break between the next game. And he said, five guys who worked the hardest are starting. I don't care who they are, what positions they play. And we went back to like day one stuff, loose ball drills, charge drills, all this stuff. And, and I remember when he said that, I was like, here we go. If you really mean that, I'm in. And I started that game and the rest of every game the rest of my career, pretty much the rest of my career there. Yeah, Porter, I mean, you walked into a situation where th- things, were, things were pretty rough at Creighton in the mid-'80s. I mean, Tony Baroni took over a bad situation and you know they went 9-19, 9-19 nine and nine and in, in 1986, 87. Uh, I mean, he was hard on guys. I mean, you, you know, they still talk about boot camp, Baroni's boot camp, right? Man, I tell you that we had to we had to run down to that track down the street from Creighton, and we had to run, and then we had ran around the track was in terrible condition. You're you're running the street, and then I remember us having the last day of boot camp. We had to we had to fall conditioning. We had to do a four mile run around Omaha, and then it was every morning we had to do these things called the pride drill, and uh, you know what? we did a boot camp here <laughs> and it's, you know, we called it shared, uh, you know, and the word is starts with an S <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> something Ness shared 
I don't know if I can say it in a podcast. Yeah, but you can. Uh, you can. Um, it, we had shared shittiness. You know, it was, it was it was a shared shittiness that you go through, and you know that you become closer as a group. That you overcame something you didn't think you could overcome through each other's support. And you know, that's the one thing that I learned from Coach Baroni and Coach Majerus, two coaches that were perceived to be very very hard on the players. You can be hard, especially this day and age. People always talk about, oh, this day and age are softer than they used to be. That's not true. This day and age, it's the same thing back then. You can, guys want to get better. They want to learn. If there's no trust there, though, it's very hard. It's hard to just walk in and start yelling at a kid, yelling at a kid, yelling at a kid, and there's no trust or love built up. You know, Coach Baroni, Coach Majerus, I knew, you know, Coach Baroni I played for, you know, there wasn't a day I didn't think that him and Mrs. B had my best interest. They loved you. And, you know, there was a relationship there. Um, I learned that from my dad. My dad didn't put up with anything. I mean, he was very hard on me. Not a day I didn't think he loved me. That's the problem. Sometimes coaches get on you so hard and they don't, they don't take time to build a relationship. And that's all that young person sees is, who's this guy tripping on me all the time? He doesn't, he doesn't know me. He doesn't, he doesn't take time to get to know me. And uh, that's just something I, I really believe in, the relationship, the trust, the love. But, yeah, co- back then, coach, I mean, we were – we were fighting and scrapping. We were a bunch of guys that, um, and we were, our era was the first era in Creighton history to win 20 games three years in a row. And very, very proud of that. And um, there was two NCAA tournaments in that, 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 that era right there. And uh, played with some lifelong friends. Um, did it the right way on and off the floor. And uh, a real model of, of things that I try to emulate here at Loyola. Porter, I went back through the archives, uh, you know, 1987, 1988, and it's funny, the, the f- first several references to you in our archives uh, are preceded by phrases like this, seldom used Porter Moser, little used Porter Moser. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man, why are, we doing, why are we bringing this back up? <laughs> All right, let's, 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 get to this, some, let, let's get to the next year. <laughs> you, uh, <laughs> it was a pretty humble beginning, though, here. Oh, my God, it was, it was the worst. I mean, literally, I think we had 15 guards in that team. And, I mean, I'm telling you, I think I've learned so much about perseverance as my freshman year. And I, you know what? I, I reference that freshman year when I talk to rec- uh, players of my, my, that are freshmen that are thinking about transferring. Because I say, you know what? I understand. Those thoughts are human. They go through your nature. There's no way I'm going to play here. I mean, I got I to gotta, I gotta transfer. I'm not going to. And I just look at that and just think, what would my life have been if I chose the easy road and given up? I, I really think about that because I got into the coaching career because I went in with my college coach, Tony Brony. He got the Texas A&M job. You know, I have the lifelong feeling and ability to say I started in an NCAA tournament game as a player. You know, in Dallas Reunion Arena, started against Missouri. And those are things that I look back and it's really shaped my life when things are really hard. Because I look back on that, I, I, I didn't choose the path of, hey, the easiest thing is the grass is greener, let's, let's transfer. No, I stuck with it and fought. But that first year was very tough. I mean, you're working, like you're going through that kind of a boot camp. You're going through every day and you're sitting there watching everybody else play. That's very hard. That's helped me as a coach because I've been that guy that is not playing and I understand. And, uh, but yeah, that, that, those, that first year, it, it was a defining moment in my life that I, that I reference all the time because I had a fork in the road and I chose the harder path and it was so much more worthwhile, which it usually is in life. 
you know, transfers are such a big part of college basketball now, and, and kids are, you know, obviously quicker to, to pull the trigger than they used to be. How close did you come to walking away? You know, those, those thoughts go through your head. You're, you're human. Your thoughts are the head. You know, you're, it, it, you're having tough times. You're working harder than you've ever worked before, and then you're not playing, and you've been the star. I mean, I was inducted into the High School Coaches Hall of Fame. Not at that time. I did it a couple of years ago. But I was, a, you know, like going through grade school, you're the best – all, all your players on our Creighton team was the best player growing up where they came from. You know, you were the best player in grade school, the best player on your high school team. And then now you come to college and you're playing with a bunch of guys that were the best players. So I've been like the star my whole life, and all of a sudden I'm not playing a lick. I mean, that's, that's hard to swallow. That's, that's, that's hard mentally. And so it's, you know, to get through it, it it's, it's, you know, it's not easy for guys to do that. And that, that happened to me. You know, 89 was was this – it doesn't get enough credit around here because there's been so many good Omaha, t- you know, Creighton teams since then, including 91. Uh, but that 89 team, they were picked – you guys were picked seventh out of eight teams in the Mo Valley. Uh, you, you know, you're coming off three pretty ordinary seasons. Uh, I don't know if, if Coach Baroni's seat was hot, but, you know, I don't think anybody expected anything major – you, you didn't have a great non-con season. And then, man, in, in Mo Valley play, things just took off. I mean, I was reading the stories, and it's like, you know, you beat Southern Illinois. Todd Eisner hits like a no-look three at the buzzer. Um, you, you go down to – you guys beat Wichita down there. I mean, that was sort of a magical ride, right? You know, it was, it was one of those watershed ones seasons where you changed it. And I really look back on – there was some stat that I was there, like in the previous like 15 or 20 years, Creighton went to the NCAA tournament like less than 10% of the time. And then from that year on to, it was right when they were getting into the Big East, they, they, were, they went like 50% of the time. And I just think, you know, the crowd started coming and then it just kind of snowballed and grew from there. But it was a great story. You know, we were, we were picked seventh. But we, you know, we had played so many young guys. I mean, the year before, Harstead and Gallagher were freshmen. And they were both on the all freshman team, and you know, we, you know, our point guard was James Farr. He was a junior. He was like the newcomer of the year. We had a lot of good pieces, and so we, we, you know, got a lot of experience from a lot of you know the year before. And we came back, so people weren't ready to, you know, pick us, but we kind of knew in the locker room. And that's and the other thing is we were a very connected team, and that's something that I've tried to emulate here at Loyola. I, I look back on that team. You know, those guys are. I mean, I looked up in the stands in San Antonio at the Final Four. I, Bob Harstead was at the game. Todd Eisner was at the game. Matt Petty was at the game. Rogerberg came to the regional. I mean, I run down. I, I run and see on the recruiting. I see Luttrell Wright sell. He came up and gave me a big hug. Um, you know, I saw Chris Rogers in Omaha. I mean, um, these guys, I mean, it's, it was a very close group. We hung together off the floor a lot. Um, and it was, it was just a special year with like really close friends going there. And that game still bothered me the first round. It was, we lost to Missouri, a loaded team. You know, Peeler, uh, Byron Irvin, Coward. Um, Doug Smith. You know, Gary Leonard, uh, Church, Sandbody. I mean, they were loaded. And Doug Smith, um, and we lost in Reunion Arena. We were up at half, I believe. And Doug Smith hit like a half quarter at halftime and kind of got him juiced going into the locker room and, we lost that first round, but we were a good team. We were a team that could have made a run. You know, I really believe that we had a lot of pieces of that team, but it was fun because we were so close a group. Did you really drive a Firebird? 
Where are you getting this information? Is like Todd Eisner and Matt Roggenberg <laughs> in your studio right now? Where, where are you getting this? Where, where would you ever have gotten that info? Just answer the questions, Coach. I did. I did. I had a red firebird. <laughs> I worked my butt off for it, though. My dad ran a, a lumber yard, and like where all the people, I at starting at like 14 years old in the summers, 5:45 in the morning, I was working in the lumber yard, and man, he didn't. He it wasn't given to me. I, I worked my tail off for that. And uh, very, very proud of that, of how hard I worked to get that. You still got this baseball card collection that's, that's famous among your old teammates? I, I, I do. I, I, I collect with my kids now. I mean, it's a, Really? Collecting cards is a fun hobby. And yeah, we go to the car store all the time. Uh, go to conventions. I've taken my boys to the, the sports cards convention here in Chicago, the national one. And, yeah, it's a, great, it's a great thing to do with your kids. I mean, they get to learn the athletes. You get to talk about things. And, um, they, they don't have access to my cards because I don't trust them yet. With that, because I got I, I got some really really good ones, and uh, but I, I I love collecting, and it's it's a fun hobby to do with your kids, and we do it. The problem with the card collecting nowadays is the packs are so damn expensive. You know, God, I used to go get the wax packs, and you could get you know, you could get four packs for a buck. Now there's like eight dollar packs that has six cards in it. You know, because there's certain cards that are a refractor autograph stamped one through five that the possibility of getting that card could be a $30,000 card. Well, so that drives the price up. And uh, that's the thing I don't like. I like, I like opening packs. I like that fun thing, trying to get a guy. Be like, oh, look, they got George Brett. You know, <laughs> I, you know you just, I, I was just, a, I love collecting and I still do. I still get the rush opening the packs with my kids. And uh, it's a cool hobby to do with your kids. What's, uh, what are your favorite, your favorite cards, your, your most, uh, you know, the ones you cherish the most? You know, I put together the 1972 top set, and I put it. I, I collected it. I love uh, basketball. Um, I love seeing the old time players like that. I love the old time cards. Um, I got a really good Mickey Mantle that I love. That it, the story behind it was. I remember going to a card store or cards at the Holiday Inn up here by Oak Brook, and I went in seventh grade, and I took my snow shoveling money, and I spent sixteen dollars on one card. And that was like all my friends were just buying. You're like, you know how many packs you can buy with 16 bucks? Like, boy, why are you spending 16 dollars on one card? And that card now is valued over a thousand dollars. Wow! And I love that story because I got it a big block. I got it. I got it uh, graded and everything. And it's 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 a really cool Mickey Mantle card. And I love that story how I got it and I spent my snow shoveling money on it. On 16 dollars on one card or one card in seventh grade. Um, you know, obviously. I, uh, I love. I got some really good Jordan cards that I love. Um, but I, I truly like with um, with my kids putting together sets. Um, you know, you, you like collecting and putting together the sets and cross them off the checklist. It was just a. It's just a fun hobby. I want to ask you about one more game, and that was uh, the the Mo Valley Championship game before that Missouri game. Uh, you guys, it's Southern Illinois. You're playing them down in Wichita, and James Farr hits hits the buzzer beater to win. Man, I, I I can't imagine. It was on ESPN. I can't imagine uh, being in that moment. It was an amazing moment. And, um, you know, just, uh, you know, there's no feeling like it. There's no feeling like the euphoria of getting your ticket punched to go to the NCAA tournament. And to, to just to see where, you know, where I was personally at one point, you know, you know, thinking about transferring and then you don't. And then seeing how much we invested 
as a group, how hard we worked and, and to get there. And I tell you, it was an amazing, I mean, and if you really remember the thing, um, they went up, oh God, he went up for a dunk and it was like, it was like CNN play of the day. He went up for Southern Illinois and he dunked the ball on his head and it popped out and it, 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 it didn't, it went through, but it has to go through the net to count. And we get the ball, James, James hits the winning shot. But like that almost didn't happen. I mean, that, if that dunk goes down, they're up three. But it hits his head and it bounces out. Those Creighton fans that are listening will, will remember that. Huh. I know the Saluki fans will remember it. I mean, you, you've been talking about ways in which, you know, you connect those playing days to your coaching days. Uh, you know, you went, you went 1-17 your first year in the Horizon at Loyola Chicago. I mean, do, do you... Do you see parallels with what Creighton was in 1986-1987 to what Loyola was, you know, in 2011-2012? Yeah, of course. Like, you know, when I took over this roster, it was last place in the Horizon League. And, you know, when Coach Brony took it over at Creighton, I think they were just coming off the, the, the Kevin Ross scandal. I mean, there was a lot of things going down, the, the publicity, and you had to kind of reinvent it. Um, you know, here I didn't have a scandal like that, but I had um, – you know, we had to, you know, really change the direction. In the previous 30 years, Loyola had 27 losing seasons. I mean, let that sink in. In the previous 30 years when we took over, the, the year you're talking about, they had 27 losing seasons. And that, so we did. We went like 1-17. We, we had, you know, one of our guys, our key players got hurt, and we really were, didn't, weren't, didn't weren't deep. Um, the next year we doubled our wins. So that now we're feeling like, hey, here we go. All of a sudden, without you know, Creighton leaves, and we get in the Valley. So now my third year, we have to go to the Valley. And that's just the difference. We had been recruiting our roster, putting our roster together from last place in the Horizon. Now we're in the Valley. So we took another step back. And then our fourth year, we won 24 games. We won the CBI tournament. And now since that year, those last four years, we've won 89 games the last four years. And uh, you're going to have to go through a little rain before you get to the rainbow. And uh, I've taken over three Division One programs that were all last place the year before I got took over. And you're going to have to go through some rain before the rainbow. But you need persistence. You need a vision. You need an energy about yourself that is just to have that. And that's what I had at Loyola. I mean, I put pictures. I'm in my office right now. I got a picture of, you know, they won the national championship in 1963. And there's a picture of black and white that I dug out of a closet when I got snooping around when I got the job. And it is picture of Sheridan Road. You can't walk. It's completely packed from a parade down there. And I'm like, can you imagine Chicago if, if we do this at Loyola? And I got a picture of that national championship team right here to my left of my desk. And I just have had that in my head. Every day I walk in, I think about that. And then I was just talking to, went down by a restaurant, you know, down by the street here on, on Sheridan, Rock Park. And they were like, man, when you guys were going, this, these streets were going crazy. Every bar, every restaurant in Chicago was overflowing. And I'm like, there's something about persistence, energy, vision. And, you know, you have to have that when you're taking it. And not in life, not just taking over a basketball program, a company, uh, you know, anything. You, you've, you're going to have to go through some rain before you get to a rainbow. You were a head coach in Division One at 31 years old. Um, you know, you go to Illinois State after a successful rebuild at Arkansas at Arkansas Little Rock and you know things are are a little spotty there and and as as you mentioned earlier you, you got fired there sort of unexpectedly um you know you, you go 
you go to Rick Majerus's bench uh, at St. Louis, and and you talk about this sort of this makeover um, where you kind of went back to to ground zero a little bit. C- can you elaborate on that? Like, what what did you have to do personally? What did you learn from that experience? What did you have to change about yourself? You know, when I when um that when Illinois State when I lost my job there. I had a chance to be a, a, a head coach at a really low division one job and my pride almost made me make that decision. It would have been another last place rebuilt. It would have been a struggle there and the, the resources weren't there. And, and I said, you know what, I can do that. Or I had the opportunity when Rick Majerus called me and I said, you know what, I, I made a decision based on what I could do to better myself. And not out of pride that I, you know, that. And I went and I learned from a genius. What I looked with the stuff that, I mean, he was, he was at another level basketball-wise. And one thing I learned, I took, you know, obviously I was there for four years and every meeting and every day eating many, many dinners, many, many lunches, many, many meals with him. And, uh, you know, just talking ball all the time. And uh, he just saw the game differently than a lot of people did. And, um you know, there's, there's so many parts of our culture that his footprint's on, you know, te- the teaching part of it. But I tell you, one of the things that, you know, that's really helped me, that solidified doing it the right way. I felt I was doing it the right way at Loyola, at Illinois State. But when something bad happens to you in life, especially like a firing, that you, 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 you get anxious that it could happen again. So you may skip steps. You may cut corners. You make, might make bad decisions based on the anxiety you have to not to, to, to avoid that happening. And when we, when I was with Rick recruiting from day one, I, I was there that from the day one, we had that model that, that, you know, good kids, tough kids, winners doing it the right way, took time. You know, Rick's first year was one of his first, only losing seasons of his entire career was his first year at SLU and went on to have three straight NCAA tournament teams. Kwame Mitchell, all those guys that recruited, Dwayne Evans, uh, Brian Conklin, you know, Jordi Jet, all those guys, Mike McCall, Cody Ellis, all those guys, you know, went to three straight NCAA tournaments, the culture. And when I got this job, just my conversations, my first year with Coach Majerus was like, Porter, don't skip steps, do it the right way. And I was like, you know what? You know, he just solidified that there's a, a, a process to go through to turn it around and build a solid foundation. You know, we used to say, you know, anybody can build a team quick, but, you know, to build a program, that will last is what's, what's special and it's going to last. And that's what I, you know, that I took so much from him with that, that I didn't, when I got here, I wasn't, I'm like, you know what, we're going to do it this way, the right way, good kids, tough kids and everything. And now I feel like our, our culture, our foundation is pretty strong at Loyola. And I'm very, I, I took that. I just looked back on that decision. Why did I make that decision? It was about getting better. What I thought was going to get me better instead of the pride factor of, you know, going that way. And, um, Rick, Coach Majerus, just, you know, I wish he was still around. He went too early. He just, uh, he was a dear friend and an unbelievable mentor. We learned from him, and I was very blessed. And I was visiting with Coach Baroni. He was the other mentor in my life. And uh, just very lucky to have two guys like that outside of my parents that had that much of an influence on my life. Do you have a favorite Rick Majerus story? Yeah, but I'm not going to say it on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I got a journal of him. I, I got a journal of him. I, I literally, I, I started journaling. <laughs> um, and it's, uh, it's, I'm going to write a book. I'm, I'm going to write a book. I've been approached about it. And I'm, I was always, always going to have it called coaching with Majerus. 
you know, I, I love the book Playing for Night by Steve Alford. I was like, I was going to write one. I have like two, 300 pages of the funniest stories, really good things that, you know, behind the scenes with him, nothing disparaging, um, but funny as hell. And, uh, and then now with this run of what just happened and how his footprint is on this there, I, I, I do, I'm going to, I'm when the time's right, I'm going to write a book. And, uh, but there is just, there was no human being like Rick Majerus. Okay, can you, get, none, can, you can you give and, me can you give me something? I mean, there, there's got to be something in those 300 journal pages that's po- no, podcast no, too, appropriate. Too many, too many. <laughs> Man, we got we 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 we've already covered a lot of ground on this. No, I'm not, that's another podcast, the Rick Majerus tribute podcast. <laughs> Did he affect your, your preparation process? I mean, I was reading about what you guys do and, and your scouting reports and how they're pasted all over the walls and all this stuff. Yeah, people from, like, Utah. And I know um, Keith Van Horn's on Twitter. Alex Jensen, who's with the Jazz, worked with me. Chris Harriman was at St. Louis. He's at New Mexico. A lot of the players that we had at SLU, they're all texting me, like, that looks just like our locker room. You know, our <laughs> walkthroughs, we do very similar. Like, we do the offense on one end away from the bench that you're going to be at. And then we go through the offensive game plan, then we go to the other end, and there's chairs sitting on the baseline, and we sit them down on the baseline as we start our, our walkthrough format. the same. The locker rooms, you know, on the road, we bring the sheets in. We get a war room on the, on the road. You know, he's very meticulous preparation, and it's, I, I'm, I'm, I've taken so much of that from him. And, you know, I feel like our teams are prepared. And I think people saw that, you know, defensively. Um, you know, some of the things we've done. and But preparation, you know, sometimes people, um, you know, I always hear coaches say, you know, we don't give a lot to the players. They, you don't want to overload their mind. You know, I think that's underestimating them. You know, it's just like anything learning. You can train your mind to learn more and more and more. And by the end of the season, you know, we're going over a lot with, of the other teams, what they're doing. And the guys have learned to learn that, you know, learn to learn to have that kind of capacity. And, you know, we're, we're very meticulous. We give them a lot. And the guys, and we have sold them on the competitive advantage that we're going to say we're going to be more prepared than our opponent. We're going to be, and they get into that competitive advantage with it. So our guys really have embraced it, um, the preparation, but that was Rick. He was very meticulous. I remember our scouting meetings. You know, he'd be like, you know, how, how many, this is a high ball screen. The left, to, and he's like, how many times do you go left to right, and how many times right to left? Like, he wanted to know, I mean, he was so over the top with the preparation, but there was a little method to the madness. You guys won three NCAA tournament games basically in the final seconds. Do, do you have a moment that that is your favorite from those first two weeks? Maybe it's a game. Maybe it's not a game. But is is there a moment that you know that you that sticks with you? Well, the moment. I mean, the first two. I mean, the, the you're so in the game and you're not thinking about the moments during the game. But like when Dante hit the shot, you know, I immediately was like is the game over. Like, my players ran on the floor. I'm, like, kind of walking to the score table because I knew they were going to review the damn thing. So I wasn't, you know, I was still, like, waiting because I didn't want to see how much time was left. And they, they did put time back on the clock. Um, the Tennessee game, you know, it was, uh, you know, Clayton hit that shot. It was a big-time shot. And so those moments were really cool. But I tell you, there's a picture that was in USA Today that showed the crowd. And they had, like, a, a baseboard, like a hockey baseboard that separated the first row to the arena there in Dallas. And there's a picture of a boy having his right foot on the, 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 the baseboard. His other hands are two hands above. is like he's going to jump over it. Then there's three other boys right there with him ready to jump over. They all, and it was like in the USA Today, and that's my boys. 
<laughs> it was my oldest son, Jake, and it was in the USA Today. And I'm like, this is the coolest freaking picture. I mean, with that, there was a video of me hugging my wife and my kids um, afterwards. That was just so cool because any, any coach will tell you, your, your wife and your kids sacrifice so much, you know, so much. I am, I am blessed with a great wife and kids. And so to see their pure joy in their faces, to see some of those highlights of them is really cool. Walking back to the hotels. I mean, it was like a reality show. Every hotel you walked, it was just so mobbed of Loyola people. And um, it was, the, whole, the whole run was, was there's a million moments that, that, that are, you know, I loved getting back to the hotel where there was so much hype, so much things. And then you get back and it's just you and your guys and your coaches in a room eating a meal you know, giddy about it. And uh, that there's, there's so many special moments with the group we had. It's kind of unfortunate that, that life doesn't allow you to, you know, obviously uh, make those moments and also sort of live outside of those moments so you can observe them and experience them in a different way. I mean, you're so wrapped up in what you're doing that, uh, you know, you don't get to experience it like everybody else does. There's a lot of truth to that. Because uh, yeah, I didn't realize how big everything got back in Chicago. I didn't realize because I'm just so you win, you're back into the war room, you know, within the walls of your, you know, you got the TV off, you got you're watching the computers of the, you're watching, you're breaking down film on Tennessee, um, and you, you're just so in the moment. And uh, but it is, and you start when you take a step back, you look at it, but don't make any, don't don't get confused. I'd rather be on the side where I didn't know what the hell was going on and being <laughs> on this team, coaching this team. That was something I'll remember the rest of my life. Um, I'll be, have many chances to sit there at, 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 in an area and watch another team do it. And, but it was, it was, it's way better to go through it. And uh, it was surreal. And I'm just happy for Chicago, for Loyola. Um, it, was, it was just a really special run with the group we had. Hey, I want to throw a hypothetical at you. Uh, 2000, we'll throw out a date, 2030. Uh, Creighton has a, has a head coaching opening how much uh, how much interest would Porter how much interest would Porter Moser have in that job? Those those are just the worst. You, you you've had a lot of good questions. <laughs> That's a bad question. This is what this is what I'll tell you. This I love Greg McDermott. He, he is the perfect man for Creighton's job. I mean, he is. Look at the job he's done. He's done an awesome job. And I root for Creighton. I sent him a picture. Um, you know when he had uh, when his son was there and they were. I remember that all my kids. I had they all had my Creighton jersey on. They had Creighton practice gear all my kids had Creighton stuff we were watching the game I'm a I'm a Blue Jay I'm a I'm a former player I got my business degree from there I pull for Creighton every game except when they play Loyola and uh so I I, I have a, just love the school love the town but you know you, you can't ask coaches those questions those are just you don't even like to think like that I, I'm so pumped they got Greg there I'm so pumped at the direction of the program they got you know doing great and uh, that's what I look at, and that's what I root for. Hey, Porter, there's a reason I picked 2030. I mean, Greg McDermott's going to be retired on the golf course by then. <laughs> let's see. How will I be? Um, let's see. What are we? I'm going to be. I'm going to. I'm, 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 I'll be over 60. I'm 49 now. I'm 49. Hey, last thing. How do you follow it up? What do you? What's What's next for Loyola Chicago? You know, what's next is is I want to get obsessed with capturing our culture this summer when they come back for summer school. I want to be obsessed with things we can control. I don't want to look back. I'm not, I'm not going to say the word defend to my players. We're not defending anything. That's backwards thinking. I want to attack another championship. I want to go forward. I want to attack getting our work ethic, our togetherness, our culture back, and like, like we had it. 
and we got six newcomers. So there's, there's got to be, we've got to work at getting connected again with, with new pieces. Um, and that's, that's what I'm, that's what's next. You know, I've, people say, you know, can you get to the final four again? Well, we never said we were going to get to the final four. We were obsessed with our culture, the process of getting better. We've got to get better. We've got to get better than we were this year in, in a lot of areas, our coaches, our players. And, uh, you know, I had this mantra of no finish line that we use with our players all the time. It was after the first eight, eight game, nine games of the Valley, we weren't picked to win it, but we were in first place after the first round of nine games. And a reporter asked me, what does it feel like that you're going to be chased now? And I said, I don't know. We're chasing. We're chasing. We got no finish line. We are chasing. And I believe that I told my guys this, this offseason. We're chasing. Chasing greatness has no finish line. You know, you can get better and better and better and better. That's what we got to be focused in on this summer. So what's next for Loyola is we got to get better. Thanks for listening to Where I Come From. If you have feedback on this podcast or any other, feel free to drop me an email. Thanks to Bird Creek for the music. You can access our entire library of episodes on your favorite podcast app or at omaha.com slash podcasts. Have a great week.